Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Other Side Podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Good day to you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And today we are joined by James Ragland, who is a community activist and a small business owner. Thanks for joining us, James. Thank you for having me, Scott and Lucas. Looking forward to a great conversation. Good morning, guys. James is someone who I met more intimately when he uh, ran for mayor of Columbus. Seems like forever ago, but wasn't that long ago. Not too long. And he's been someone who's not afraid to express his opinions and also isn't afraid to critique our news coverage and offer his opinions on how sometimes he feels it's biased, slanted, but always does it in a in a professional way, in a way that helps us get better. Yeah, I try so, to be. Yeah, so I've always appreciated that. So this is going to be a lively discussion, and uh, it's going to be one that I, I think that a lot of people are talking about, but mm-hmm. maybe hasn't gotten to the mainstream. And so some of the things we want to talk about today are education. And James, you're heavily involved in the city schools as a parent, as a volunteer. Um, I was wondering if you could just give a brief summary of your involvement in the schools. You have kids in the school district. Certainly. Yeah, I am a Columbus City Schools graduate. I graduated from Fort Hayes Arts and Academic High School in 1993. I have a son that is also a graduate of Walnut Ridge. He is attending uh, Central State University as a junior this year, majoring in psychology. And uh, my daughter is currently a junior at Eastmore Academy. And so we are proud, proud representatives of Columbus City Schools. I serve on the site-based council for Lyndon McKinley STEM Academy in helping out uh, Mr. Bland and that wonderful, wonderful staff over there at Lyndon Go Panthers. I am also volunteering on the policy review committee for the entire district. So shout out to all of those others that are on the policy review. We look at policies before they go to the board for approval. And so uh, they do have a a community-based group of parents and volunteers, uh, business leaders who look at Columbus City Schools policies before they get to the board level. And so we kind of have some input on the things that are happening within the district there. And so really, really proud of the work that is going on within Columbus City Schools and will always be an advocate for the Columbus City School System. And also, just to mention too, I mean, James also spent some time on city council. He was an aide for Charlita Tavares when she was on council. I mean, James has some, some policy background as well. So he's a voice that has been around for a while. Yeah, I think, you know, with education, it's it's really not all about the city school system for me as well. You mentioned Crystal Ray Columbus a little bit ago, and, and Crystal Ray is a private institution that I helped to get off the ground here in Central Ohio that's doing quite well. It's a high school, about 400 students, that has a professional work study component that, uh, and I do believe that we do have some young people that are working for the dispatch sure. and the media group that are, are students at Columbus Crystal yeah, Ray. You, so, you see him around from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty sharp dressed. Recognize uh, the uniform. People. That's right. Absolutely. absolutely. So really proud of what they're doing at Crystal Ray Columbus as well. Let's just cut to the chase. So sure. 
uh, the state just came out with their report card, if you will, um, which is basically a system to kind of rank school systems throughout the state. Columbus got an F. So I'm just wondering, like, on a personal level, one, have you ever considered putting your kid in another school district? I mean, if your child is attending a district that is basically failing, what? why would you continue to send your child to that school? I think the... The reasons behind the failure have more to do with issues that are outside of the control of the schools themselves than they do with the teachers and the buildings and the curriculum. So you mean social issues? Absolutely. I mean, if you are sending unhealthy kids into school, you're going to get an unhealthy result. And so a lot of the issues that the schools have in trying to educate students stem from the homes that they are living in. And so if you have a young man or a young woman that lives in a neighborhood that is multi-generational poverty, impoverished, no one's working, things are hard within the home, you've got outside forces of, of opioids and, and unemployment and low health outcomes and all of those things, you're sending a child into a school and asking a school that is charged with the academic outcomes for the young person to solve social and emotional issues for the young person. And so if you look at the report cards throughout the state, you will see all of those entities, all of those school districts that have a low test rating, a an F grade, if you will, come from neighborhoods and come from cities where there is immense poverty and it's multi-generational poverty in all of those places. And so I did see where someone said this is only a reflection of those districts who have money and those districts who don't. Now, I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Absolutely. Uh, and the, the question was posed to me about would I consider sure. taking my daughter out? And I think for me, and I'm just this is just a moment of, of clarity for me, I have a different level of resources that I can surround my children with and insulate them from a lot of the social and emotional issues that the average student comes into Columbus City Schools with. And so if I have a problem with my children and their grades come in as an F, I understand that there are some things that I need to do with my wife and my village to make sure that those grades are corrected. I also understand that I've got the opportunity to go and call into that school. If I do call, someone's going to answer. Someone's going to return my call. I'm going to get a meeting. I'm going to get to the bottom of what the issue is, and we're going to go about the business of correcting it. That takes a lot more than what the average, it takes a, a different skill set than what the average parent in Columbus City Schools or any other big city school district in the state of Ohio has. And so, you know, there, there's a difference, and, and it's more based out of my home is the reason why I can, I can say, hey, look, we're confident in Columbus City Schools because of what we're doing at my house. Gotcha. Certainly there are significant social issues, and it's a heavy lift for a lot of those. I mean, we're talking poverty, we're talking food, clothing, a stable place to learn, like all those things, I get that. But one of the things you and I have talked about, and I, I don't think you, you'll be upset if I bring this up, is that you feel that parents who do have the ability to stay and do have the ability to put a stake in the Columbus City Schools opt in your mind too often to move out to a different district. Absolutely. And that's a very interesting point because if you look at, and I'm speaking particularly about African-American families here in the city, the, the district itself is predominantly black. What the district is missing is 
more African-American, more black people that have middle class values choosing to send their children into Columbus City Schools. Let's just be honest about it. And that's just not a problem that is pervasive in the schools. That is a problem that is pervasive in central Ohio. It's that's that's a problem that's pervasive in the city of Columbus. If you have neighborhoods that are gentrifying, for instance, there are enough African-American black families to keep those neighborhoods from gentrifying. But those African-American families are choosing to live in the suburbs. And so we have this discussion where it's African-Americans that are living in the city, sending their kids to the city schools. However, it's not African-Americans that have the values that can lead to better and higher performing school districts that are living within the city. And it's like, well, if you pay me enough, I can move to Gahanna. If you pay me enough, I can move to Pickerington. If you pay me enough, I can move to Reynoldsburg or Worthington or even New Albany now. Right. Mm. And I'm going to do that. And I've had people tell me, African-American people, just flat out tell me, you're not going to use my kids as a guinea pig in Columbus City Schools while you guys figure it out. It's worth it to me to pay higher taxes and live in a different community where I do also face challenges. But I'd rather face issues of racism or issues of that are more related to class in some of the other suburban districts than to have them in a setting in Columbus City where the challenges are almost too overwhelming to overcome. Scott, did you go to Dayton? I did. Okay, so that I mean that's a large urban school district. Yes. What did you feel like your education suffered because of I mean, they face a lot of the same situations Columbus does there. No. Interestingly enough, I would say it's probably because for the same reason that James said with his kids, because my parents, you know, my parents were very involved. And so and I think the schools that I went to, I didn't necessarily go to the schools that were geographically the closest to me. So my parents allowed me to, for instance, like my junior high years, I picked a school that specialized in arts, even though it was on the other side side of the city so i think you could open enroll right so i want to ask you real quick james go back to a point that you made about you listed a bunch of external forces that affect that that school rating sure and i agree with a lot of those things but james those things are systemic problems i mean these are things that are going to take years decades to fix and so for that parent that says i don't want my kid to be a guinea pig how do you make the point to them that even though your kid could I think most people want their child to get the best education that they can. And I don't think it's unreasonable for a person to say, hey, until this district gets its act together, I'm going to send my child where they're going to have the best opportunities. So I think if it was a matter of like funding or something, that's something that could be fixed. But, you know, the issues that you name, those are like external things. So I guess my question is, if you have all these systemic problems, why should people be expected to tolerate failing school systems in the meantime? People don't. People don't tolerate failing school systems. Like I said, if you're an African-American family that can move out of the district. But you're saying they shouldn't do that. No, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I I think that every family has a a right to put their kid wherever they want to put their kid. Yeah, they have a right. But I'm saying you don't think that they should. Not that they can or can't, but you don't. You wouldn't advise it. You think that they should hunker down and 
stay? No, I think you fix the systemic issues that are pervasive for the people that live here. How does the school board and the superintendent do that? That is not their problem. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. That's not the that's not the issue for the superintendent and the school board themselves. The school board has only a minimal obligation to solve problems of joblessness in the city of Columbus. So what happens while you're waiting for all those other issues to get solved? You're not waiting. Parents aren't waiting. Parents aren't waiting at all. The parents are using the options that are available to them through the state law of Ohio to do something different. That's why something like Crystal Ray works, because you can, if I'm a parent and I live in the poorest neighborhood in the city of Columbus and the school in that neighborhood is an F rated school, I can get an Ed Choice voucher and I can go to a school like Crystal Ray. Or if I live in the poorest neighborhood in town and the school is F rated, I can go to a charter option or what's really something that we have to start addressing if I live in the poorest neighborhood in town and the school in my neighborhood is an F-rated school I can apply to a Columbus City School lottery and go to a lottery school if my child is lucky enough to get into the lottery that's still a Columbus City school but not necessarily in my neighborhood or if I live in the poorest neighborhood in town and my high school is F-rated I can go to Centennial or I can go to another school that's on the other side of town. Mind you, that's a school choice discussion that parents are making on their own. And one of the things that we don't do enough talking about is policy wise, we're making policies thinking that parents make decisions around how to educate their children based on the greater good of everybody else. I can guarantee you right now, I don't make education decisions based off of what's going to be good for Lucas's kids. That yeah. I don't do that. I worry about what's going to be best for my kids. But we are forcing policy decisions on somebody that's saying that this should all be about the greater good. Parents don't make those decisions like that. If it's good for my kid and no good for your kid, your kid loses. You make the decision that's best for your kids. And so that's why you see so much open enrollment jumping around from, I mean, we have kids that our busing system is moving kids all over the city from neighborhoods to other neighborhoods all around town throughout the entire school day because people are running from their neighborhood schools. So one of the factors you mentioned, you know, the external factors, but there are some to me, uh, some alarming factors inside the district that other districts don't have to face. And, you know, earlier in the school year, the district had to close the school and early dismissal because of the heat and because a lot of their schools don't have air conditioning. And to me, it seems frustrating and it's hard not to get angry about the fact that I know some teachers in that district. One of them teaches at, at a school near downtown. It was 104 degrees in a kindergarten classroom. And so when you hear people, and I saw the lot of social media Scott did too, saying, oh, you know, I went, I went to school when it was hot. I'm actually one of those. People. I know you're one of those people. <laughs> but but 104 degrees, you can't learn. I mean, we quoted students in our articles saying they couldn't, you they couldn't hear teachers. You can learn. You can't. They were saying that they couldn't Back focus. in 1932, people were going to school. They, gra- they, they, they weren't going to school in August here. They weren't. I mean, an August start date has not been the norm. And so you don't have an environment that kids, especially in the suburbs, are subjected to where it's, you know, teachers are turning out the lights. 
to try to lower the room temperature one degree or two degrees. And this this issue of air conditioning, it just makes it even more difficult for kids to learn. And I just wonder, you know, then you look at schools like ECOT that get all this money and get access because they have relationships and there's a level of privilege there that doesn't exist in the city schools. And I wonder, like, you know, how is that viewed, that schools like ECOT and that pop up because of what's going on in the city school district and then schools out in the suburbs just have different learning environments that maybe Columbus City school kids don't? Well, you get what you pay for. Number one, my daughter goes to Eastmore. There is no air conditioning at Eastmore outside of the central office. We walked into Eastmore Academy. And by the way, go Warriors. Win the bell this weekend. We got a, <laughs> a big game against Walnut Ridge coming up on Friday. So uh, All go right. Warriors. Go Warriors. So, go um, Warriors. But we walked into Columbus Eastmore the day before school started. And there's very few kids. All of the staff was there. But we were coming to, to speak to some staff members and get some things in order for my daughter. And it was probably 11 o'clock in in the morning. No kids, mind you, but I immediately started sweating walking into that building. I can understand why the school district is saying, you know, essentially we're unproductive after a certain time during the day and and there's a safety issue with that. There's a, a, a safety of students issue with that. There's also a safety issue related to the fact that schools have to close their windows overnight so you can't get cool air in them. See, 20 years ago, I went to Oakland Park. Well, it was probably 30 years ago now. I went to Oakland Park Traditional School, and there was no air conditioning at Oakland Park. But the windows were open all night, and no one, not very many people, would walk into that school, climb through a window, and steal all of the supplies. And But that was 30 years ago, so that's a social issue that says, hey, all of our schools that don't have air now can't get cool air in and through the buildings overnight because they got to close all these windows. Mm. No one's really talking about that. But it's also a financing issue as well. And one of the things I mentioned to Lucas, because everybody says, well, where's the money? We just passed a bond issue and, and we just, you know, we just supported you in saying that you were going to get air conditioning. And, and well, they never did say that they were no, going to put air. Yeah, the bond issue wasn't about air conditioning. It wasn't. They just right. said HVAC, which is heating largely. Exactly. And, and mind you, my son went to Walnut Ridge. And back then when he, and that's not even long ago, he's only a junior in college now. But we missed school because of a day where the heating system went down the boiler went out and it's a it's a boiler like literally a boiler from that you're thinking back in the day the boiler went out and so they had to close school but that's also a school financing issue and so sometimes what I'd like for you all as journalists to do is start digging a little bit deeper there because everyone says, well, the school district has a billion dollar budget and you've got a budget that's bigger than the general operating fund for the city of Columbus. So where well, is it's the, the largest school district in the state? Well, sure it is. We've got. Yeah, we've got. So you're going to have a big budget. some, some you know, square miles of, of space here. Yeah. We've got fifty six thousand young people that are going to that school district. But where where are they losing well, but revenue? That, but that that's why them? that's why I brought up ECOT, though, because you you have a man in Bill Lager who created this school that was allowed everyone to just learn from home, but yet $200 million over a few years. A lot of that came from Columbus City Schools because he got paid per student. They don't work like traditional schools where it's property tax driven or you're getting bond issue money like Columbus has to go to before the voters to get money to do these repairs of schools. That $200 million, that could have more than put air conditioning in all the schools. I mean, 
the school district announced, and it got a significant coverage, that they were putting air conditioning in a handful of schools, and all the TV stations, news stations covered it, and that was like $11.5 million. I mean, $200 million, you could have more than got that done, but yet instead, because Lager, he used his privilege and his access to politicians, he was able to, you know, siphon off money from the city schools over a short period of time. Sure, and, and that issue goes back to the voters that approve of who they are sending to the state house. You know, if you want oversight on ECOT and folks like Mr. Lager, then you have to demand that your state representatives and state senators provide that oversight for you. You have elected representatives that you put in office to do precisely that. And, you know, you've got an auditor who's now a, a candidate for another office, you know, that could have done more, in my opinion, in, in making sure that that oversight was there for ECOT. I would have liked to have seen the same level of scrutiny of ECOT that I saw with the scrutiny surrounding uh, surrounding the school district here in Columbus with the test scores and, and all of those things that we that we got here. I would have loved to have seen that earlier on in the stages with ECOT. And one thing that I think gets missed in that discussion, if parents don't send their kids or exercise that option for ECOT, then ECOT doesn't exist. It's based off the number of families that feel like ECOT is a viable option for them or any other school choice school is an option for them. And so if those types of schools don't have kids, he's not able to make that $200 million that or whatever it was that he made in, in putting on a school like that. We have to address the issues of why parents feel schools like ECOT are a viable option as opposed to the options that are right there in their neighborhood. And that's got to be a priority for not just Columbus City Schools, but every other public school within the state because ECOT was pulling kids from all over. I mean, I think they had kids from pretty much 88 counties in the state of Ohio. And so if that's the case, then we've got to address the why. And then you've got to say to your elected officials, hey, we want more scrutiny and more oversight, which I support in that. I think if you're a school choice school and you are underperforming, you ought to be the first to close. If you're a charter and you're not worth a darn, then Hey, shut it down. You had your time. It's time to move on and, and put those resources towards something else. But if you are a high performing charter or private or other some other entity that is doing well for the families that are sending their children, that are entrusting their children to you, then I think you should be allowed to flourish in this educational environment mm-hmm. in the state. Okay. So All right. I know. Everybody, right. Everybody, Let's take a breath. Yeah, education, man. We could spend a whole week talking yeah, about absolutely. it. Absolutely. So this is the more relaxed yeah. portion of our show. So, <laughs> okay. so you can, but, but, I, can, I, but I, I think it'll make for for good conversation. I didn't prepare James for this. So this will be even more un. un- yeah, this, off, this will be things off, off the cuff here. But this is what we want, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for those of you who may have not been paying attention to news lately, this has come up in the past. Basically has to do with Bert and Ernie, the Sesame Street characters. And, you know, it's no secret that there's been this long conspiracy theory that these two characters are actually gay. And this started out as a joke, though, right? It started out as a joke. On another TV show, right? (laughs) Yes. So, no, seriously, I, I think that this, in a way, can be a serious topic. And I say that because Sesame Street felt the pressure from this, so they actually responded, and they 
tweeted out that, quote, as we have always said, Bert and Ernie are best friends. They were created to teach preschoolers that people can be good friends with those who are very different from themselves, even though they are identified as male characters and possess many human traits and characteristics. They remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. My question to you guys is, one, do you think they are gay? And two, does it matter? I saw something the other day that talked about the writer who was writing the skits for Bert and Ernie. For, I mean, how uh, old, how old are these guys? These are like I mean, 40, yeah, these are like I mean, 30, yeah, 40 they, yeah, they're, they're, right. they were around when I was a kid, right? So, so. Um, it, it seems like the guy who was who was writing more recently, I believe, but wrote for a significant amount of time for Bert and Ernie was writing it from a perspective of someone uh, he was gay and he you know he was living that lifestyle himself and he was writing from the perspective of his lifestyle. Oh, really? I, I, I mean, yeah, it, it was. It seemed like there was a an article that that I read around you know this yeah. actual topic. But I think one of the things that we I think we overreact a lot of times to, yeah. to the announcement. Right, we're talking about puppets and, here. Yeah, we, we are. But yeah. here's here's the thing though: we're talking about puppets who have for you know my entire lifetime been used to educate young people about literally things that are happening in their environment right yes. who are the people in a way who that are they the people in your neighborhood right that that was the, that was the yeah. song who are the people in your neighborhood right and so bert and ernie are people that are in your neighborhood and so if the use of bert and ernie to if the use of bert and ernie to educate people about the normalcy that is the LGBT community right now in today's society is, you know, being forwarded, then then fine. I mean, it's not something that it's going to go away. That's not something that's going to go away. That is it. That is the new normal for our society right now. I mean, what I remember about Bert and Ernie, it was one of them would get mad about something. And, then you know, usually it was Ernie, right? That calmed right. Bert down. And it was Which like is, it was more is, about like, how do you coexist with your friend? Uh, and, and, and how do you uh, and how do you I mean, you should go back and watch some of this because I'm with they you. Had when I was twin a kid, beds. They had I, I never beds. thought I never they thought about it when I was a kid. But as an adult, their interaction you, is. No, no. I don't Have you know. watched a Bert and Ernie segment since you've been an adult? No, I no, no, and, no and, one has. My take on it is this: if it is, if they are representing LGBTQ characters, then Sesame Street should just come out and say that. Like, stop pretending and saying, "Well, they're just buddies." When in reality, that's they're more than that. I, I don't but, think that they need to, though. Do you feel like because they, I feel like that's why we're here. That's why there's a conspiracy because suppose this guy comes out and says, "Oh yeah, that is that is they, the case," and then they're and then they come right back with this statement that says, "No, they're just friends. They've always been friends. They don't even have a sexual orientation." And that's fine if that's true. I'm not sure if I believe but, that that's well, true. Okay, you're not. But believing if it's it, not, then they they just, just put that. it to rest. They said these are puppets. They have no sexual orientation. End of story. No, uh, actually, it's it's not. I mean, I think they think they put it to rest, but I don't. I don't necessarily think the controversy is going to be put to rest. And he, but here's the here's the reason why I think they don't want to do it because if they come out and they say that's what it is, you're going to have a lot of conservative parents who are going to start boycotting and protesting them because they're going to say, I don't want my children to be indoctrinated into this, or I don't, I don't think my, I don't want my kids to be exposed to this. So at a, such a young age, or, you know, there'll be a thousand different reasons. So I think that they're probably more scared of the public backlash that might come if they actually go ahead and say that's what it is. Sure. I mean, that that is the world we live in 
right? I mean, yeah. they are they are a public broadcasting entity. Which, by the way, um, largely the GOP has over the years tried to strip funding out of Yeah, that. they really have. I mean, yeah. Nixon tried to do it. Uh, it. Republican presidents largely have talked about. Sure. And, but if you if you think about it, though, what the discussion boils down to, Scott, is funding, right? Right. You're, you're, if you're scared of conservative backlash, what that means is that you are fearful that conservatives will withdraw money. I mean, that's let's just be flat or, out or even about it. force your show off the air. No, they won't. They won't do that. You don't think they'll do that I, uh, because Sesame Street I think is PBS. It, it, it is. But also, I think that we are living in an environment right now where there is so much widespread acceptance of the LGBTQ community that parents are looking for a soft way to educate their kids about the lifestyle, even if that is not the lifestyle that you lead, and they can find value in what Sesame Street would do in even greasing the wheels on something like that. And you also have enough rich and powerful LGBTQ members within America to make sure that something like Sesame Street does not go down because of the withdrawing of funding because of of some conservatives that feel like they're you know that have some sort of phobia towards towards some puppets i mean you've got now i don't uh, know james i love your optimism i'm a little more pessimistic because i don't think i think they will not i think the the people who are most passionate who would be most passionate about it are not lgbtq advocates it's going to be the the conservatives that are going to be most passionate about it and and most aggressive about attacking sure and they're, so, they're gonna be they're gonna be very very vocal about it they're gonna be loud about it they're gonna be mean about it and I think what is happening globally is that those people are are dwindling on the planet I mean those types of folks that are really really staunch and like that they're either being boxed out silenced or they're dying and the world is now changing and I think you know the, the one thing that I do understand about the LGBTQ community they will not allow an entity like Sesame Street to go down because of some perceived negativity sure. about about them they will put their resources and that's not just financial resources but that is their advocacy arms and everything else that they have that's a, a very strong infrastructure right now within America they will put put their full weight behind a fight like this if conservatives really want to have it and i just don't see that occurring can we just have some puppets <laughs> that are making kids feel better about themselves and not politicize i mean and like, I, that may like, be like that these, may be the statement you know i was half joking but i'm serious like i would love to take a poll of the people having this debate about bert and ernie and expressing emotional views on either side when's the last time they watched a bert and ernie segment i mean that we all right. re, we all remember and as a kid those little subtleties they're not dawning on you yeah you don't you're yeah, not I yeah agree. yeah i mean yeah. I'm, your six-year-old I, yeah, is not yeah your right. six-year-old just wants to be entertained by Bert and Ernie. Okay, we got to get out of here. I just want to say one quick thing before we do. You know, please keep your thoughts and prayers. The people in the North and South Carolina and Virginia who were affected by uh, Hurricane Florence. And I, I also just want to remind everybody that, you know, there are a lot of people who, when they get caught in natural disasters, don't have the money to just pick up and go somewhere else. And so a lot of times natural disasters affect poor and people of color disproportionately. So just keep that in mind, you know, next time something happens and, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why don't they just leave? And, you know, if you don't have the money, you don't 
don't have transportation, you know, you don't have somewhere else to go, you're stuck there. And and a lot of people don't choose to be there. It's just that's their circumstance. So anyway, with that being said, we just want to thank James for coming in again yeah, and thanks. talking hey, to thanks us. Thanks for having me, guys. A, I appreciate it. Great discussion. And yeah, so we'd love to have you back sometime. And yeah. in the meantime, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from our listeners. So check out our Facebook page and our Twitter page. And you can always email us. And until the next time, try to see things from the other side. Thanks. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.